Hello, and welcome back to the Nehru Rainbowcast podcast with Artistically Are. The Nehru, the podcast which is to Nehru Divergent people about the Nehru Divergent lives and stories. And this week, of course, is no different. This week, she's me chatting to Sarah Ann, who's known on her social media as Sarah Ann Rapp. Like, Sarah Ann Rapp. Like, pun on a play on words. And she is on, like, a TikTok role content creator who uh, he makes uh, content for Cicelard George and of uh, over when into the phone and followers which gets or has over a million views and like she has been able to go that platform in over a year. But like a significant thing about having these interviews is not just the size of platforms people I interview with, but the uh, backstories and, you know, what type of conversation they can offer. Well, with getting Sarah on, on a podcast, I thought I could have a great interview as it know that she's quite insightful, informative in ways that I, you know, haven't been uh, I'm not able to be as informative myself, you know, with not, you know, like not the same lived experiences that she has said a lot about her own lived experiences and has a lot more research and information in the bag than myself. And she also is able to speak for as big as Latin American women in an space that if you look on TikTok and social media, you don't see a lot of Latin American, Latino, autistic women. So it was great to be able to have a chance to hear a story and hear her experience chatting about areas of mental and diagnosis to doing social media. But in this interview, it touches on her experiences of bullying and mental health trauma, references, minor references to uh, assault, uh, suicidal ideation, and, you know, uh, like social media bullying and references to any like misogynistic and uh, racist, xenophobic hates faced with as long reviewism just to let you all know that. And if you uh, want to get into to the podcast, certainly we're in both project across social media platforms and also if you're an email it's newwarrainbow.com where you can find more uh, resources on www.newrainbowproject.com that's where you'll have information about the article off the right to prevent and a video which will be coming out in a, in a day or two and you'll be able to also find any like resources by clicking on in the whole menu all of fans which gives you resources to any like mental health or you know any charities that you might be resourceful due to any certain themes that mentioned on the podcast. Thanks to yourself. My name is Sarah Ann. So I have my username as Sarah Ann Rap on all platforms. I go by Sarah. I'm a content creator on TikTok and I mainly get like get ready with me videos, like makeup videos talking about different topics in neurodiversity. I share my own experiences and I make educational videos, advocacy and education. Yeah, you've seen your videos on TikTok and I 
the great educational tools on learning a lot more about autism as well as having neurodivergent conditions. Can I start by telling a bit more about your neurodivergent backstory? I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD when I was 20. So my mom always knew that I had ADHD because I'm very hyperactive. I can never sit still. I get distracted super easily. I was just like an absolute menace growing up, but my mom didn't really know what autism was. So like that never really crossed her mind as a possibility. I did get bullied from the moment I stepped into school as a kindergartner. I always make a joke that kids can smell autism. It's like they have like a radar for us, but starting school like is what made me realize that I was different and I was just so scared of like socializing with other kids like I used to get such bad anxiety I would get stomach sick every single day before school and this is when I was five years old like I was so anxious already about having to like socialize like feel like I couldn't do it right and at six years old is when I started to try masking. The first thing I ever did was try to mask my smiles. I studied how the other girls smiled and how the ends of their mouth would go up and how their upper lip would get smaller and how their cheeks would go up. Another thing is like, I know I was bullied now looking back on it. At the time, I didn't understand I was being bullied. I knew that I didn't like school and that I had no friends and that I felt bad, but I didn't know why. And it wasn't until like my junior year of high school, like I was almost graduating when I was getting bullied again by like students and teachers. And I was like, oh, wait, like, I don't think this is normal. It took me way longer than neurotypical people to develop the social awareness that I wasn't being treated like the other kids and people weren't being nice to me. Now, the way that I found out that I was autistic is kind of funny, actually. I was in a relationship with my first boyfriend. Honestly, he was not a good guy, but <laughs> for an entire year of our relationship, he was making autism jokes about me. Like every single time I would do something, he would be like, yeah, it's because you're autistic. And I'd be like, haha, that's so funny. <laughs> it took a whole year for me to actually ask if he really thought I was autistic. And he, when I did ask him, he was like, yeah, it's pretty obvious which was like so ruthless. That's what caused me to like look into autism in the first place. Yeah, I was just saying then, it, it, when you're in school and you know, like, you know, young teach so like, as I said, when you're like five and six, school and, you know, any sort of environment where you kind of like socializing for the first time with people your age and we're not independent from, you know, like anyone outside your like family and all that. So it, it can be quite intimidating and quite challenging because, you know, nobody knows the rules to socialise in any way. But, you know, as an autistic person, it's like you kind of socialise with a different, like, language and you're trying to sense out how other people work. And, like, I remember, like, starting school myself. It can be quite an isolating thing as an autistic person because, like, you know, like, remember, like, just standing in the corner of the playground for most of weeks for the first, few, at least for the first few months of when it was, like, five, you know, like, because, like, I literally didn't know what to do. And as I say then, you know, because it's trying to find out how we actually work, then that you do start to mask. And so it must have been quite difficult then, you know, when masking also turned into bullying, because, as I say, that 
your peers knew something was different about you, even though you did it yourself. And it must have been quite hurtful that your teachers were also bullied to you. Yeah, no, it's like with, even with like masking, like, cause I've, I was trying to mask since I was six and I was still getting bullied. It's, it feels like I can never do it right. You know, like it, I felt like I was trying so hard and still like it, it wasn't good enough. Like they could still tell. And that was so awful. But no, my teachers were so bad that year. It, it happened to be like my art teacher and my music teacher, which was so sad for me because those are part of my special interests. Those are the things that I love the most. And they almost took that away from me. They took that away from me that year too, which like, that's, th- those are my passions. So it was really, really bad. What was the experience with teachers bullying you and like the blessed experience in school and from and you been with your boyfriend, then you realised that you were autistic, but you didn't realise what autism was and, until then. So looking back now, when was it that you realised that things that happened then were, was bullying and it was bullying because you were autistic? Probably when I was like 21 is when I realised I was being bullied because of my autism. Like, it didn't click for me back then because I, I had no idea. I had no idea what was wrong with me. I I thought I was broken. <laughs> I probably took until after I was diagnosed to really like take a minute to look back because even after I was diagnosed, I didn't really care to learn that much about autism. I was like, okay, I'm autistic. Like I even remember I bought three shirts off of Amazon that were like these like basically autism shirts that had like nothing can break you autism can't break me like that type of thing and I had a whole I had a whole photo shoot I asked my friend to be like hey can you take pictures of me and these things (laughs) like I didn't care to learn about it until I was maybe around 21 so it took a little bit for me to realize all of this happened because of the autism like it does take away it was diagnosed for in school age and when it was like 10 and like it's like for me then you know like it did take until I was like 18, 19 to start researching it myself. Take it seriously of what, what it is I'll say that it does take a while to find out what it is then and I guess before then because your mother had knew you had ADHD from a young age so I assume that she probably like just your ADHD out when you was in school. So what was the impact of before you got diagnosed on your mental health? And when you was being bullied, like before you got your autism diagnosis, you said that people were picking on you. Well, how, how did you see yourself then? I guess I was very confused and clueless. Like, I, I didn't understand. I, I really had no idea what was going on. I was in my own little world. I was just happy and to an extent I really miss I really miss it I really wish I could go back to that level of being so clueless and unaware these kids were so cruel to me and I was just laughing with them I didn't know they were laughing at me you know and I miss being just unaware I miss I miss that I think I was totally fine being like I wasn't really hurt. Nothing really affected me. I wasn't so obsessed with trying to fit in. Like, I 
was confused. I didn't try to dress like anybody else until I was in high school. That's when I started to really like change myself to try to be accepted by other people. I was so desperate for any sort of validation. I was so desperate to just have a friend. I guess like I'm pretty similar. I've I've been told at least like from the people that have known me since I was like a kid, like the same person. I just look a lot different and I've tried really hard to change my look. So the same, I'm still obsessed with bugs. I'm still obsessed with <laughs> infectious diseases. The thing is like you are most often or not, you are the same person, but your life and life experiences kind of can change that as you evolve. It's like how people treated you and how you become more aware of it. And I understand how you would risk more carefree state. You was not so and in terms of like, like what, in terms, like in which ways they were like bullying you or being nasty to you, like in terms of where you're like, you know, not being t- too affected from it. Because, you know, when you were younger, you know, it's nice sometimes if you got a more carefree, relaxed spirit that you can, uh, can block some of that out, even though how hard it is to still go through all that. And as you said, I guess, when you was uh, in high school and uh, when you was, like, in, I don't know, like, primary school age, I guess, you know, like, it, it's nothing, I guess, from when you were six, then, you know, you get that kind of, like, sort of more subtle, you know, uh, masking off any as say you try to like sm- like mask a smile and more more since those around you. But I say when you go into like you know high school, then you know it can be quite more extreme. Off as say when you're like trying to fit in a crowd that you feel like you don't belong in, and you know gets a lot more difficult then. I just remembered the yeah. word that I forgot. It was oblivious. That was the word yeah. that I wanted to say. I miss being oblivious to everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can totally get that because yeah. I say it's quite difficult because when you like become more aware of the world around you, mm-hmm. there's a list of lessons that I know you'd be happy enough to talk about that would ask you a bit about your like, experiences with mental illness and mental health. Also, I want to ask you about what type of traits you have, but also I know like as well as being autistic and having ADHD, you also got a dyspraxia and sensory processing disorder di- diagnosis. Can you explain more about your neurodivergent conditions and how they affect you? My diagnosis is kind of long, so it's like autism, ADHD, OCD, PTSD, anxiety, depression. I feel like a lot of autistic people, like we do commonly get complex PTSD because like we're just continuously traumatized by society. The bullying, like everything, like we can lose our identity pretty quick because we're forced to mask so much. I especially struggled with my mental health for a while. And my depression was really bad. I it was about when I was like 16 is when it started to like kind of happen. It was when I was getting bullied. And that was when I first started to have suicidal ideation. I just, it wasn't like an active thing. Like I wasn't actively planning to do anything. I just really wished that I wasn't 
here. I really wished that something would happen to me. And it was just a constant thing that just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Not knowing that I was autistic, like I felt so broken and lost. I could not figure out what was wrong with me. Nothing I could do was right. Like I, it was not good for my mental health. I've been hospitalized twice. One of them was voluntary. One of them was involuntary, which that was extra traumatizing. My depression has been a struggle for me. I realized I was medication resistant, so I wasn't responding to any antidepressants. Nothing was getting better, but I was able to get approved for a treatment this summer that was called TMS, uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's like this big machine that hooks around your head and it taps. And basically like the magnetic stimulation wakes up all of the receptors that are suppressing your hormones that give you like the dopamine, the serotonin. It did end up working for me. So fortunately my depression is in remission. It's weird to say that but I am doing a lot better. I haven't thought about dying, which is very weird for me as well. Still not used to that. For PTSD, I did experience an assault in college. The PTSD from that has been insane because I see PTSD and PTSD. So CPTSD is like continuous trauma, like being bullied and that kind of stuff. And then PTSD is the one event. One has really affected me. I'm in EMDR therapy, which I wish I knew what that stands for, which I don't, but (laughs) basically it's like trying to like desensitize you to your trauma and stuff. And I really like it. It's pretty cool. But so the nightmares, the flashback in 2021, I had a really bad flashback that set me into a complete dissociation. Like what you were talking about, how you can block things out sometimes. I completely dissociated after that flashback and I lost a whole month. I couldn't remember anything. I woke up in a psych ward. OCD. I remember the first time that I had an intrusive thought that I acted on. I was playing like tennis in the driveway with my singular friend that I had. I had one friend and I saw the rose bush and in my head, I was like jumping it jump in the rose bush and I jumped into the rose bush and I was covered in thorns because like a lot of people what bothers me on social media is people are like oh like my intrusive thought she let the intrusive thoughts win they don't realize that like these are bad like that's not the difference between like an intrusive thought versus an impulsive thought like you dyeing your hair a random color that's impulsive but intrusive thoughts are like you jump into a rose bush or you jump into the deep end of a pool and you can't swim. Like it's things that are dangerous. But that was the first time I really acted on one and it did not work out well for me. <laughs> so my OCD manifests mainly in intrusive thoughts. I really get stuck on them and it's the most awful things. I'll be driving and this just thought pops into my head and it's really things I I never even want to verbalize how like awful or disgusting they are but also the ones of like wow you should drive off of the highway full speed into a wall like that type of a thing and it's very scary and they're awful 
but that's mainly how my OCD manifests. When I was younger, I did have contamination fear. I don't know if they have Chuck E. Cheese where you are, but you do know what it is. It's like a fast food thing. It's it's like a kid's indoor playground. It's a chain and they have like fast food type stuff there like pizza. And that was my biggest fear when I was little <laughs> because I was so scared of the fact that all of the little kids were touching everything and they wanted me to touch that too. And I was like, there's just no way. Like classmates would have birthday parties there and I would tell my mom, I would be like, I would rather die than be in a Chuck E. Cheese. It's literally the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. And um, there's so many germs there. That's my OCD. And for anxiety, I still struggle with anxiety. I've actually, it's been really bad the past few days. This is past week. I've been having a lot of trouble sleeping because that night, like I think about anything and everything and it won't, like my brain won't shut off and I just can't go to sleep and I'll stay up till like 5, 6 a.m. My anxiety also manifests into, like I have very bad gastrointestinal problems. My stomach hates me. I'm always stomach sick and my anxiety makes my stomach even more angry and that sucks. I just made a video on this, but autism also is comorbid with some health problems and I have really bad asthma and I just learned that 20% of autistic people people also have asthma and then one in five people with neurodevelopmental disabilities that are of like an ethnic minority group have asthma too so I have asthma I have scoliosis <laughs> I and then my gastro problems fascinating thing brings up to the chronic illnesses where we can cure with autism a lot more in higher percentage and ethnicity that can be also a factor there because like it's something that hasn't been as explored as much of how it affects people I've seen that Stuff like anxiety, like, is one of the most commonly discussed and talked about mental health conditions. But with, like, autistic people or any other neurodivergent conditions, can also not go on to, like, more physical health problems, as you say, with, like, gastrointestinal problems. Like, there's sometimes where I'm needing to frequently use the toilet or in constipation, all that can cause it. With having multiple conditions like OCD, depression, PTSD, your anxiety and anxiety traits can be worsened by having PTSD. Going back on what you said, the reasons for your complex PTSD and your PTSD, it's something that sadly is too very common in autistic women and girls that it's the worst experiences as you described assault and bullying that cause suicidal ideas and that's the kind that's all too common within autistic and neurodivergent people causing those mental health conditions. It's good to be able to find their therapies and try medication said some of them have been ineffective for you. Yeah, definitely. It, it, all of this stuff, is it's so common in our community. And it's really sad because like, it's like we can't catch a break. Like, <laughs> I, I just want like a minute, like, <laughs> just like one second, please. Like, I am so tired 
all of this stuff happens way too often and it just very unfortunate way of PTSD and mental health conditions like when you were describing your therapies to medication is not most of them must been ineffective what has helped you know to get into better free mental health and what has helped you to into getting into a better place because as I say that you now you feel like your depression's in remission so definitely the treatment that I did the TMS has helped my depression also therapy I'm in therapy twice a week and really implementing a support system like I have been trying to get better at asking for help so really leaning on my friends and family to really help me through things I've really pushed myself for my whole life. I've forced myself to keep working, keep busy. I've exhausted myself. And after I graduated college, I moved to another state by myself, pretty far away from my entire support system. And I ended up working like seven days a week. I was so busy. I was so tired. I ended up burning out. Also being able to understand that like, it's okay to take breaks. That's one thing that I've been really trying to like force myself to accept that it's okay to take a break. I know I'm an adult, but it's okay that I moved back home. It's okay that my mom is having to help support me a lot more than other people because autism is a disability and I do struggle a lot with normal daily things and it's okay to ask for help. So that's something that I've been working on being able to like give myself a minute to relax and it's okay that I did nothing today because I rested it's okay to rest I yeah. say that because you, you said that you all got like diagnosis scoliosis and uh, with having the two chronic health conditions as having neurodivergent conditions resting is important because like all this and burnout can have impacts on your uh, physical health that is something very common of that and so, as well as that, you also say that that you uh, got dyspraxia. So, how does that affect you as well? Yes, I have a lot of trouble with my coordination. Mostly is with eating, like the way that I hold utensils, the way that I hold my like pencils and my paintbrushes. I actually have very bad tendonitis because I have such unusual posture and form. I hold things very peculiarly and very, like, I guess, roughly, because it affects my tendons so severely. But that's another reason why I got bullied. My unusual posture, the way that I hold my utensils, even the way that I eat now, I have to eat a lot of food with my hands for a few reasons, because, like, the fork and a knife is too difficult for me, so I just eat like full-blown steaks with my hands it's easier to rip it apart it's just a lot easier that way <laughs> with like a fork and a knife that's so difficult for me like I just cannot figure out how to do them at the same time but then also the way that I walk oh this is so embarrassing sometimes when I walk I get very aware of the fact that I'm walking and in my head I start freaking out because I'm like oh my gosh I can't remember how to walk properly so I'm in like counting my steps I'm like one two one two like left right left right I didn't know I only found out last year <laughs> that it's visible I was on a date 
and I was walking and in the middle of it I got so aware of the fact that I was walking but I didn't know that it was like an external thing people could see I thought it was like an inside of my head thing and my date goes why are you limping are you okay and I was like what and he was like you're you're limping and I was like what do you mean (laughs) and then I asked another friend of mine they were like yeah you also randomly start like wobbling and limping and I'm like okay for me, my unusual posture, my walking and utensils, I can't really hold things properly. <laughs> so yeah, it's very unfortunate. And to relate to, as you say, with walking, because sometimes like you're not walking in a straight line, and to somebody that you it could look like you're drunk or stumbling on your feet walking when you referenced, like the sentry stuff off, visualizing in your head. Then, like, some of the sensory elements of sensor, your body's moving a bit detached and tangled. I don't know. It's so difficult for my hands because my my tendonitis. I've been in occupational therapy to help that, to help me use my hands more, like, be more functional with them. Yeah. But it hasn't really helped much. It's just so difficult. Like, I just don't see a reason to change. Like, can't everyone just be nicer? Like, I'm, let me just... I, I know it works for me. Like, let me just do it. So you were, when you were saying about occupational therapy, so how has it been for you then? How, how has occupational therapy worked for yourself? I don't like it that much. It's uncomfortable for me. It's mostly just because, like, I don't really like being touched. And, like, they're always having to, like, do, like, little massages. And I just don't want them to touch me. And they have to. And so I kind of stopped going. I had another appointment last week. It was a new person. And I really didn't like her. (laughs) So my special interests, I'm, like, an artist and a musician. And um, so I'm using my hands a lot. And I love to go to the gym. So, like, I'm at the gym basically every day, too. I'm always using my hands. And she was basically telling me because my tendonitis is so severe. She's like, your body is telling you to stop. So you cannot exercise anymore. You shouldn't paint anymore. You shouldn't play music anymore. And I'm over here like, so you want me to like, just get rid of everything that I love and basically not live because like, that's ridiculous. It seems very surprising that somebody would turn around to you and say, don't go to the gym anymore, don't paint, don't, don't, you know, play music, because, you know, like, we all need to do things with our hands, we need to keep our hands active on it. It would be something that I would think that an occupational therapist would help you do more, a bit better, like, how to manage and not to get so much tendons, pain, improve the tendonitis, and it does seem quite bizarre. Same with your mental health. And I, I can imagine doing stuff like art and music and even going to the gym is quite therapeutic, self-expressing, like just a way of getting the energy out in the gym because like for your ADHD and autism, the like the stem centuryness of the gym body moving can be quite good and helpful. Yeah, exactly. You got it. I don't understand why she did that and I I'm never going to see her again because I don't understand like how you're going to tell me she was like no you can't do any free weights you cannot grip anything and I'm like what am I supposed like I I that's it was so ridiculous the gym is like a very good if I don't exercise 
I have a lot of trouble sleeping because I I need to get my energy out somehow. For myself, do struggle a lot with sleeping, and it's definitely a very hard thing as an artistic mm-hmm. person to set down when they potentially have ADHD. So it's the, that type of thing that that can be quite hard. Like it's said, with getting your diagnosis, we're at like twenty one or beyond twenty one, and so what was like then getting to an occupational therapist. So did you get put forth for an occupational therapist? Because, like, I know it can be sometimes quite hard to get those services as, as an adult. Yeah, so occupational therapy, it actually wasn't difficult for me to get one. It It's mainly because it wasn't specifically for my autism. That's the problem here is... If you want help, like in resources as an autistic adult for your autism specifically, they're like, no, sorry, we don't have any. But then if you want it for like me for my tendonitis, they're like, oh, no, that's awful. We'll totally help you with your tendonitis because that's like a direct problem that they can fix. And a lot of the people in occupational therapy, I guess, are older, too. So that wasn't really an issue for me, thankfully. But yeah, for other things, like if I want help like with my coordination and that kind of stuff they're going to be like oh no you're fine like so it sucks well it's quite good that you can get access to occupational therapy then because as an adult sometimes like i found with myself that i had as a child because diagnosed with dyspraxia about seven or six and it's something that I had up to, I think, about the age of like nine or ten. It can be quite hard to access as an adult. Thank you in Puerto Rico. I'm in the UK. Things are like in terms of like services for disabled and neurodivergent people in uh, Puerto Rico. So can you tell me about what the services like and why is it like being disabled and neurodivergent in your country? I am not in Puerto Rico. My family is Puerto Rican. But I was born in Virginia, so it's like where Washington, D.C. is. That's where I am. My entire family is Puerto Rican. I have my culture. It's interesting because there's like a big stigma around mental health, especially surrounding like our religion. That's common with our culture. It's usually we're like Christian and Catholic, but there's a big stigma around mental health, especially disabilities. Like that is like unknown of finding out that your kid is like autistic. It's like a a nightmare for Latino people. And I think in my culture, we just don't talk about it. And when I got diagnosed, it was crazy because, wow, I never really thought about that. And it was kind of an aha moment for my mom too, because my mom was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm exactly like you. I do all those things too. And I was like, mom, (laughs) you also are autistic if you experience all of these things. But yeah, our religion being told that like, oh, you can just pray it away. Depression isn't real. Like these things don't really like exist. It's just the devil. When you're younger, at least for me, like it was kind of frowned upon to show emotion. Like if you're about to cry, you have to suck your tears back into your eyes. If that tear comes out, like you're in trouble. And with sensory issues, and um, I've been looking a lot into the pathological demand avoidance part of autism because I have always been like this. It was just 
important not to show emotion and like what your sensory issues like just suck it up like it's fine your sensory issues aren't real like it's very invalidating and I think that's why a lot of us go undiagnosed because um Latinos are the most underdiagnosed demographic in the autism community and I think it's because you know we're told that like all of this is normal you know you're being dramatic just suck it up like it's fine and for me like I was kind of a troubled child in comparison to my sister like my sister she's a lot older than me but she was apparently such a good kid like she is that type of autistic kid that was just quiet, didn't really talk much, super shy, just like would read all day. And then there was me with my like ADHD and autism. And I was so hyper and I was so, and with PDA too, because I don't do well with being told what to do. If you tell me to do something, sometimes I'll go and completely freeze. Like I'm unable to do it. Like I get very, um, defensive, very aggressive. I will scream. I can't be told what to do. Any perceived demand is literally hell for me. Like I will completely shut down. And growing up like that and not knowing why and your family telling you that it's normal because they're the same way, it really sucks. And then it also sucks in the medical system when you try to get diagnosed and all of these stereotypes are against you because when they're looking at an autism diagnosis and a DSM, everything is based off of white boys. And with me and my culture and being so heavily masked, it's harder to identify. And a lot of us, at least in my counselor, that when I was in college, when she was advocating for me, to get a diagnosis because I was initially misdiagnosed and she told me that the reason is that a lot of Latinas are stereotyped as crazy that's just how it is so we aren't seen as being able to be autistic it's not a thing they are like you're crazy you're dramatic you're moody and they don't really listen to us and it's it's really unfortunate, but I'm really thankful that my family has been able to grow from that because I was the first to get diagnosed in my family and they've been so accommodating and so willing to learn and so willing to learn about themselves. It's like something that in like in your religion and culture, it's something that there is internalized ableism within it. And so I yeah. guess with that internalized ableism you probably think no it's no fault of your family of like oh they may have wrongly perceived autism and mental health but because I guess that historic thing of greater than, than your family and I guess you're glad you both yourself and your family were able to learn from your diagnosis your sister's diagnosis and your mother finding all uh, she's autistic to her. I guess some of that being undiagnosed when you was younger, having that uh, mental health isn't real and autism and ADHD traits invalid, uh, given like the wrong labels of as people perceive you as like sometimes being a bit loud, dramatic and crazy. Some people can perceive that that's contributed to the feeling of 
isolated and like you don't fit in and you didn't know who you were as you was yeah when your boyfriend at the time suggested that you was autistic. I guess that was like an unsettled feeling of how you didn't know what, what autism is and it took you a long time to get that journey of finding out what it is. Mm-hmm. It was definitely like a very confusing thing because I was like, how could you just like assume that? How do you think that I'm autistic? But I guess it kind of makes sense because he would always say like you talk about the things that you love for hours but the second then I talk about things I like you zone out and I'm like oh oops or like the let me go back to organizing my insect collection and telling you about it you can stop now (laughs) Uh, there's lack of representation awareness and education in your community and Latinos are vastly underdiagnosed it's a thing that when you started making social media content and how you've been able to grow your social media channel, do you think it's something that you want to be able to make sure that people can learn about how antagonized people in your community are and that you they have like a resource to understand and to learn a lot more about how it can be presented from a different ethnicity. That's what my main goal is with social media, because I was initially misdiagnosed. I don't want what happened to me to happen to anybody else. The reason that I was misdiagnosed was really just because of my ethnicity and because of how highly masked I was. I don't want to sound cliche, but my diagnosis, it saved my life. Like, I don't even know if I'd still be here if I didn't find out that I was autistic. After my boyfriend said that I was autistic, I literally found like the first person who had availability to do a psychological evaluation. It was over Zoom. It was an older white man. I was misdiagnosed so badly. Like all of these things, like I don't meet the criteria for, I don't have any symptoms for. It was borderline personality disorder, bipolar one, and schizotypal personality traits. And I accepted it. Like, I was like, okay, so I'm not autistic. And I went to go to a psychiatrist. I got medicated. And the mood stabilizers and antipsychotics they put me on, they made me so sick. Like, I got all of the side effects. Like, my main side effect that I got, like, on almost every single med that I was on was something called akathisia. It's like restless leg syndrome. And I already fidget a lot. Like, I already can't stop moving. But It feels like if I stopped moving, like I would have to peel off my skin. Like it felt like my whole body was itchy all the time. And if I stopped moving, it would fall off was the worst feeling you could ever imagine. I was like on a medication called Lamictal and there's like one side effect on it that like if you get that side effect, you need to go to the ER and immediately stop the medication. It's a rash that you get. And I got that lethal rash. Then they proceeded to put me on it again. Then I got the rash again. It's like nobody was listening to me. Nobody was hearing me. Nothing was working because there was no mood to stabilize. Like, I already don't feel anything. I don't know what they were trying to do. It was so bad. My doctor kept, like, raising and raising and raising my doses. I used to do beekeeping in college. I had to go to my bees after my psychiatry appointment. And I needed to take my first dose of, like, 100 milligrams of a medication called Latuda. I started going through one of my hives and I fainted in the middle of the bee yard and a grad student had to pull me 
away from the bees because I was getting stung because I'm obviously passed out in the middle of a bunch of beehives. And I was so sick. After I got assaulted, I went to go to counseling at my university. And like, this is a big reason why I actually do believe in God, because like, I got so lucky, like I was paired up with like a random counselor at my university. And she happened to be an autistic woman who was finishing up her PhD on autism in women. And she was the one that realized that I was misdiagnosed and she advocated for me to get a proper diagnosis. Like that luck is like insane. So many people out there like are not going to have the same luck. That's why I started sharing my story and making content because I don't want that to happen to anybody else. And especially for like women and people of color, like this is not an uncommon thing. There are so many studies out there, so many statistics, like this is not a rare occurrence. That makes me so sad because there are so many people out there that are never going to know, are never going to get help, are never going to really understand themselves. And I know how that feels. I can understand that would make you so sad because the Latino community is under-talked about and no real space has ever been heard and listened to. You don't know what, like, the like size of the problem for, you know, you know, neurodivergent people with, in terms of undiagnosed and the mental health of the impact of lack and diagnose that your medical professions weren't listening to you at all when the side effects so you would have to be refused the medication if you like had to ask and you would have to be put on to an alternative medication and the fact that they didn't this to you is an evident problem that you should really have looked to and investigated and reflected upon that that was bad practice of them and it's concerning still if they still not listening to Latino people when they get in misdiagnosed. It's it's a social impact of people who are not autistic who can misdiagnose you and not understand the traits, the symptoms of the people that they were supposed to be recognizing traits and symptoms of. Yeah, I want people to be able to advocate for themselves. And I feel if I keep making content and sharing my story and sharing everything that I learned, that helps people really learn more about themselves and be able to reflect and be more certain in who they are. Because when people, like for me, I was so confused that when they told me I had all of these other things, like I was like, oh, okay. Like, I guess... I'm not autistic. I was so uncertain in autism that I couldn't advocate for myself. I just believed them. And you know yourself better than anybody else with like a two hour evaluation. You've known yourself for your whole life. Like if you do that deep digging, like you can help other people better understand yourself too. So I don't want what happened to me to happen to anybody else. And I want people to be able to advocate for themselves because it can really mess with your mental health and your worth and your understanding your identity. You don't know who you are. You think you have all these other things and nothing is working. You think you're broken because none of the medication is working for you. It would be something that takes part in the LCPTSD and that misdiagnosis, something I would see 
CPTSD can co-occur with other, you know, neurodivergent people are, but also when you've got your dyspraxia diagnosis, how did you get that diagnosis and what was the diagnosis like for yourself? So the diagnosis, just like evaluations overall are very stressful for me. I take questions very literally, and it's actually a reason why I think I got misdiagnosed with things in the first place, because I take things so literally. So when they ask like things like, oh, have you ever stayed up for long periods of time or like multiple days in a row? I bring up the fact that like one day at the end of April in 2018, I had to finish an art project for like in a gallery and I had to pull an all nighter. And so I was awake for over 24 hours. So they took that and they were like, oh, she has mania because she would stay up for multiple days in a row. But it's just that one time or like mood swings. Like, do you have mood swings? And I'm like, yeah, no, my dog died and I was sad, but then something happened and I was happy. So my mood does go up and down sometimes because if I take that literally, I'm like, yeah, when bad things happen, I get sad. And when good things happen, I get happy. So my mood does go up and down with like masking. I didn't know what masking was. So when I tried to explain masking, they're like, oh, you have borderline personality disorder because I was like, oh, sometimes I have trouble being myself around outside people because I'm scared that they're not going to like me. So I kind of pretend. But then eventually, like when I got my official, like real diagnosis, it was kind of, I kind of knew what to expect. So I was able to really like answer these questions properly and like mentally prepare for them. I had my little like notes and they were able to fully assess me. And that process was like four hours long. Um, But it's so stressful for me. I don't know if you had a similar experience, but I literally blacked out. Like I was so stressed with all of the questions. I got so overwhelmed that I was in like fight or flight mode. Like it was so much for me. And it happened both times. (laughs) So I don't know if that happened to you too. I was diagnosed around the age of 10 so it's like um, some yeah it's something that you know like being a lot younger than yourself getting diagnosed it's not something that on the top of my head I can't remember much about the diagnosis bit of a blur but it's not like something I can remember vividly when I was highlighted your previous mental health misdiagnosis then it's like that thing of that can be like a failure in for autistic people if you don't like ask for the context of like thing look like unless you're asking for the context and you can get all those answers that lead to misdiagnosis without asking for like the context because I just like and I would try to but like especially that first time like he really wasn't like giving me a lot of context so I was really confused I also still don't really know why this happened but he did request to speak to my boyfriend I don't know if he didn't believe me when I told him that I didn't hear things but he asked to speak to my boyfriend which was so odd and my boyfriend told my psychiatrist that I heard things that he didn't hear so that's how I got diagnosed with schizotypal because apparently like I heard voices that he couldn't hear. It's actually just because I have very good hearing. So I can hear the apartment below me. I can hear them talking and I can hear the ones next to me. And when my sister would come to my apartment, she could hear them too. But he couldn't because he was neurotypical. Like he didn't 
and not great yeah. hearing. So I got diagnosed with something, but the second time around, I also did get diagnosed with ARFID, which is the um, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. That was also very interesting to find out because I didn't know what it was at all with dyspraxia and like also with like ARFID. They asked a lot of like questions. They made me stand up, walk around. They also noted that I had unusual posture, which was kind of rude. With ARFID, like they were asking a lot of like problems with food, my sensory issues. What was I like growing up? And I actually couldn't gain weight when I was little because I couldn't, I never like would eat. I had a lot of sensory issues with food, especially with meat, like the fatty bits. That's also a reason why I like to eat meat with my hands is because I can feel for any like bad texture bits. So I don't have to put that in my mouth. I would spit out a lot of my food. When you mentioned the sparks early on, like the series in terms of like using like fun fork, I wanted to ask a bit about Arfid. It's mm-hmm. something that I don't know as much and I can't remember the top head. So can you give a bit more context to about Arfid yeah. and about your eating sensitivities and how that has impacted you? Arfid is Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. It's an eating disorder that is now on the DSM-5. And unlike other eating disorders, this one is not focused on physical appearance. So this one has nothing to do with how you look. A lot of people's ARFID, they, it's not necessarily that they're skinny or that they're fat or that they're like in the middle. Like it has nothing to do with that. It's all dependent on the person. So for me, I was very skinny because I did not eat a lot of foods. I was very picky. I still am, but um, Mm. very picky. I had so many, like so much sensory fear around food. I was scared that if I would bite into something that it would taste bad or feel icky in my mouth that I wouldn't eat. I would never finish my meals. I can't have my food touch. I have a particular way of eating. It took a while for me to discover. So I actually couldn't get above 70 pounds until I was 15 years old because I could not gain weight. I could not eat well. And it's very unfortunate. Another thing with ARFID for other people, why they might be on the heavier side is because their safe food might be a junk food. So like their safe food could be like maybe just pizza and something else. And that's the only thing that they eat can cause them to gain weight because they can't eat anything else. Or some people like have a big fear around food. Like they are scared that like their food is going to kill them or that there's poison in them and you can't finish the food or you can't eat it. So that's another thing that could cause ARFID. I, my sister actually um, refuses to finish drinks. She leaves a little bit at the end of the drink because she says that there's spittle at the bottom. So she leaves like a good amount of drink at the bottom of every single one because she can't finish it. So it's very interesting because like a lot of us do have like these sensory issues around food and ARFID was recently added. It wasn't like a thing that was originally on there. Yeah, like the sensory and restrictiveness of a, a like mm-hmm. a, ARFID as an eating disorder then seems like something that could be quite highly common within the autistic ADHD sensory process mm-hmm. people. And yes. not so have you mentioned about dysphagia. Do you mention about that? So I don't think I have dysphagia, but my mom does. So for those people that don't know, it's when you have trouble swallowing, you might choke a lot, 
choke on your own spit, choke on water, choke on anything that you eat. And it's a very common thing and it can lead to going down the wrong pipe. You can develop pneumonia, you can aspirate, but that's actually how my grandfather passed was he aspirated because he choked on and he developed pneumonia and then he passed. But my mom also says she thinks this is how she's going to go too. Like literally every single thing that my mom eats or drinks, she chokes on. It's like a kind of dysfunction with the way that you swallow. And it's it's a very scary thing. It doesn't happen too often with me. Like I tend to choke on my spit sometimes. I think I get really aware of it and I can't figure out how to like organize myself to swallow. I'm like, okay, do I swallow now? Or like, do I wait? Then I end up choking. But that's not like a super common thing for me, like it is for other people. And it's very common in the autistic community. When you were saying about your family, like family members also being autistic, was it like that your sister was diagnosed before yourself or after yourself? And was like being able to find out that you have a family members are autistic? And like, how's it helped yourself that knowing that you have? People in your family who are also autistic and understand the experience of being autistic. So I was the first person. It's been really helpful because we can really like understand each other now. Like I feel like in the past, like we were really getting on each other's nerves a lot more because we were all overstimulating each other. All of us stim very differently. Like all of us have like vocal stims and then like we get overwhelmed with the other person stimming and then we have a meltdown. This person has a meltdown. This person's annoyed. This person can't stop stimming. It's very hectic. It's gotten to a point where like now that we know what it is, we can be a lot more patient with each other. She's like this because of this or she needs a break or we should step out. And it's been nice knowing because I feel like we can have a lot more patience with each other. And it's been good because in the past, I was so irritated with my family, even with my mom choking. Like it sounds bad, but like, I I was so angry at her. I found it so annoying. I was like, just swallow. Like, I don't know what's so difficult, like just chew your food. And then I found out this is an actual health thing. Like this is something comorbid with autism. And now I feel bad (laughs) because I didn't know. If you didn't know about your mother's health condition of dysphagia, you might have not known that. It's like a thing that it's because of health reason. Now you can understand each other a lot more. Your social media, you know, what is it like having like grown a very high profile with a lot of followers? And what is it like obsessing the fact that you get a lot of comments and a lot of interaction on social media? And now have you handled that? I question myself every day, like, why I did this. (laughs) I have never been a huge social media person. The idea of just me being perceived, like, people knowing that I exist, like, I don't know how, why I did this, but I'm really far in, and I know that my content is helpful, and I've received a lot of really, really bad hate, but TikTok it's occasional. Like I don't get as much hate as I used to because I think they filter a lot of the comments now. TikTok is pretty safe for me. Instagram is not safe at all. I try not to be on it as much as possible. It's really bad there, especially with the sexism and homophobia. Like a lot of the people on there, it's a lot of men that just are into the comments, like just like fat shaming me, like saying, oh, like 
don't eat that fry. It's ridiculous. Like, it's bad. But the big thing is I'm getting bullied on Reddit and YouTube. So on Reddit, there is a subreddit called Fake Disorder Cringe. Have you heard of that? When I was researching about this interview, what well, thing is could ask, I've come across Reddit, like, some people have been nasty with it, and conspiracy theories, it discriminates and all that. You can't be autistic because all these sort of reasons, right, which is, like, terrible for you to deal with, and for, I guess, a lot of women and all women of ethnic minorities are more susceptible. To- so, I don't have Reddit. Um, I only found out because one of my close friends, he messaged me and he was like, hey, I'm so sorry, but I just came across this subreddit and you're on it and people are being really nasty. I recommend that you don't look at it, but he sent me everything and that's how I found out. But I found out that also on that subreddit, it is all women and people of color that they're like claiming can't be autistic for so-and-so reason. And A big reason for me is like, I am a woman, I'm a person of color and I'm like, I can be considered attractive. And that's a big thing that like, they're like, no, it's impossible that she could be autistic because she's pretty and it's awful. And even on YouTube, there is a YouTuber called Ablaze that has like nearly 400 or nearly 500,000 subscribers that posts reactions to my videos that he has called me the R slur, said such awful, disgusting things about me, talked about things like, oh, if she's in my bed, like, and she were acting like that. And it's absolutely disgusting. It's really bad. And it sucks. But also, like, <laughs> this can sound bad. I'm kind of used to it. Like, I, I've been trained for this. I've been bullied my whole life. Like, you think that, that now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna react? Like, I'm numb. so they can say whatever they want like I will continue to try to make a safe space for people like me on uh, TikTok you got like over hundreds of thousands of followers and that's something that it's like a sad fact with social media like the bigger social media presence we are more amount of aged more likely to get the more nasty comments and the reality of how things are online and in society that you have to kind of like deal with how people go with fixed interest which you shouldn't have to people who are going to be on that space you're kind of forced into having to deal with that with yourself having mental health conditions like mm-hmm. have, it can you really knock on your health and see those nasty comments so it, it must be something that over the years, even though like you probably started a lot more recently, like in the past few years on TikTok, as you like your presence grown like from when you started it, it must have been quite a difficult thing to handle at the start. I actually started last year. That was like the first time I ever made autism content was last July. I I've never really had social media before. So I'm so in shock with myself for why I did this. Um, Cause like I didn't have social media because I'm so scared of being perceived. I have literally had five Instagram accounts. The one that I have right now is the fifth because I delete them all of the time because I hate the fact that people look at me and people know that I exist. I was just like, my 
special interest is autism right now. I'm learning so much and I should just make a video while I do my makeup every morning before work. And it ended up getting so popular that like a lot of people have seen me. Like there have been millions and millions and millions of people that have seen my face and it haunts me. <laughs> it literally haunts me. Like it scares me so much, but I know it's helpful and then I get it, but yeah, it's been a pretty recent thing, a very quick thing for me. So kind of hectic, but I'm glad that I've been able to create a safe space that quickly though, because like, I love, like, I love blocking people. Like I don't give people the chance to post another hate comment. Like if they post one, like you're done, like I will screenshot it and react to it, but you're not going to see it. Like I'm done with you. It's yeah. healthy way of creating the coping mechanisms and try to deal with that and not tolerate hate and not let it get worse. So it must be yeah. quite something to find within a year of way of developing a presence of knowing a way of communicating and what you want to say on it. Because I found like what you're doing great with your channel is making it quite educational and certainly expressing your interest in autism in a way that even somebody like myself who is also autistic can learn a lot more about being autistic and the information out there about autism. For me, yeah. I talk to myself a lot. <laughs> I I remember posting a few get ready with me TikToks like before I started making autism content, just because I literally every single day I when I do my makeup, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna be adding my concealer now. I'm going to be like, I'm making up all these scenarios, talking to myself. Like, I was like, why don't I just hit record? Why don't I just like record myself while I do this? That's pretty natural for me, like talking to myself at my reflection, because like, that's what I've always done. I'm always talking to myself in the mirror. So it kind of worked out for me. And I always, I love makeup. So it's really incorporated, like, my little art and my cool eyeliner looks and then my passion because I love learning more about myself and about other people and about our community it's just it's so intriguing to me and yeah and I love sharing it like you have not like as many friends for years and like it's probably been way of like I guess one positive thing is that it gives you at least a community where you can find autistic people nice people who who you can relate to for the like nastiness of the comment section and find a way of expressing yourself. Within a year, you found yourself able to unmask a lot more doing videos like this and like hitting on record button. As I um, helped you unmask and be a bit more confident in who you are. Yeah, I have seen a few videos pop up of when I first started making these videos and how different I am because I used to be pretty masked in my videos and I still do mask a little bit because it's just an automatic thing but I used to be so heavily masked in them but I am like so thankful for like my community like I love them so much and the way that like I know it, it makes me feel so much less alone and it makes others feel less alone is like the most perfect thing in my mind because it's like all of us can benefit from this and it's just such a great opportunity, but I love them so much and I consider them all like my friends and my family. Like I, I love them and I'm so thankful because they're just, they're all so sweet and it just seems like, it's, it's nice to know that you're not alone. And for yeah. me, 
when I was learning about autism and following all these influencers on, it was Instagram. That's how I started to get interested in it. And that's how it became my special interest was because of Instagram. And everyone I followed, they all happened to be like white people, which it's not a bad thing, but no one looked like me. And I was like, well, why don't I just kind of make content? And I have so many like Latinos following me. I have so many. And it's so great because like now we're we're the same. <laughs> yeah, because let's feel that if you're a Latino person using t- TikTok was ultra autistic or find out that they are neurodivergent and mm-hmm. even if they're going through the diagnosis process or self-diagnosed, it's something that gets space scrolling for the social media feeds that you know, it does make a difference to see somebody who is like themselves just talking about it because it makes you feel a lot less yeah. alone. And it's like one thing that from like since start using TikTok myself that, you know, just seeing other people make content themselves. It's really nice because it helps you learn about autistic people, but the medium of it can make you feeling company and because like listening to somebody's video of it and for you doing something like TikTok and documenting how you feel and your artistic experience and they like processing your own feelings with it and so again something a bit cathartic just express your own lived experiences for other people to relate to or just have it released and out. Representation is so important and it's just amazing. Like seeing people like you anywhere makes you feel less alone. And I, I get so many DMs and so many like nice people commenting saying that like my content has helped them get a diagnosis and advocate for themselves. And those types of comments always make me like tear up because I'm like, wow, like it's actually helping people. <laughs> I'm thankful. Yeah. And but as to when you like said about like platforms like Reddit, Instagram, YouTube, you know, be not being a, a safe space for autistic people and often minority gender and minority ethnicity, what are the things that you would like to see platforms make sure they are a safe space and not allowing for hate and disinformation being published on the platforms that could harm people? I think the ultimate goal is for autistic people to feel safe and comfortable in this world. For us to like be okay being ourselves without the fear of judgment, without the fear of being excluded. I want us to be safe and I want us to be unmasked and I want us to live like a happy life I I just want us to be happy and it's I I don't know if it's gonna happen in our lifetime it seems like it's gonna be a long long thing but I think like as long as like influencers and autistic people you know continue making content and continue sharing their own stories and experiences like more people are going to start to feel comfortable being themselves more people are going to find out who they are and hopefully this world will become like a better place and we won't feel so alone yeah something that like for myself you don't think you don't have like an obvious 
like idea or thought you would like to see a social media platform to do it, you know, in terms of, you know, making like neurodivergent people and anybody of any minority background who faces discrimination on the platform. It's something that want people to continue using using it and, you know, find making a safe space for themselves, but something that you don't have any clear answer for what they could do or what you would like to see them do. I actually was talking to one of my mutuals about like how we would love to make like a nonprofit. Like, I think it would be very cool. I, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how it get started, but it would be really cool to make a nonprofit that's run entirely by autistic people and all of the funds go to autistic people because like things like Autism Speaks and like less than 1% of their funds go to autistic people. And I think like if we can make a nonprofit for that, a charity and like be able to fund like people's diagnoses, that would be amazing because that's one thing why like like so many uh, minorities are underdiagnosed is because like a lot of them don't have access to a diagnosis with stereotypes and also because like 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 the diagnosis is biased against them you know the diagnosis is biased and they also might not have the financial ability to pay for one so it would be kind of cool to help people get those so yeah. I don't know how to do it but <laughs> yeah and like yeah. on one of the few final like topics and questions going back to when you referenced that you know like you got hospitalized for your mental health and like and when was voluntary and when was involuntary so what was the experience like in there you know being hospitalized for mental health and what was your general experience of how you found that situation and you know like wherever you, you found had a good or bad experience and or things you found that could have been a lot more improved if you go Mina. Being hospitalized it sucked because it was taking me out of my routine it was putting me in a new place with like people I had to do group therapy sessions that was awful but they did accommodate me um which was great because of my disability they got food specifically for me because there are a lot of foods that I don't eat um they got earplugs for me that I could wear to sleep and during the day let me watch Tangled which is my safe movie that I watch basically every day they found ways to accommodate me because this place was a um it wasn't necessarily a hospital. It was an inpatient like house. It was an inpatient center. It was like a little center that they had. And it was nicer because they were able to accommodate me and it, it was it felt safer. So that was good. I still don't like it. I think most people don't like inpatient experiences. So Yeah. Um yeah. And like one of the like questions I at least tend to ask on a podcast is what mm-hmm. one like if there's a one thing in particular that you can think of which you would like to see improved in society for autistic and neurodivergent people. Is there one thing in particular that springs to mind that you would like to see improved in general? Yeah, I think just like 
I would like to see the suicide rates improve. I would love to see like our numbers go down because suicide is so common in our community. Suicide rate, it's like they are so high. And that's one thing I, I would love to see go down in my lifetime because even the life expectancy for an autistic person is very low. And it's because our mental health is so bad. So I think that like if more people get diagnosed, um, then they're at least, I, so I was reading this paper. It was by Dr. Robert McCrossin, which it's one of my favorite papers that I referenced in a lot of my videos. But he talks about the, how like women are so underdiagnosed. And he talks about how because they get misdiagnosed and don't get diagnosed, they are more susceptible to mental turmoil. They are more susceptible to all of these struggles with suicidal ideation because they don't truly know who they are. And I think that if, you know, the world becomes a better place for us, a safer like place where we don't have to bend over backwards to do the bare minimum to only get rejected, like <laughs> then the suicide rates will go down. You know, people will know who they truly are and be confident in who they are because like, that's what's important. Yeah. And like in another final, when the three were the final questions, like as you know a lot about, like in terms of what you said about autistic, autism and neurodivergency and disability in a, for an educational form way. So what, like what one thing or what thing would you like people to take very and know about being neurodivergent autistic that they might be not known going into this interview? One thing that I want people to know, I think I want people to know that like, it's not easy for us. It is all of this, like, all of the things that are natural for neurotypical people, like eating lunch, eating dinner, brushing your teeth, washing your face, all of that takes so much energy out of us. It's not a natural thing. It's not a natural thing that I can just automatically do. It's something that I have to prepare for, something that takes a lot of energy out of me. And that's why, like, a lot of these things make me feel so drained. And I, I really do like, I feel like we try so hard. Like the amount of effort that we put into surviving and existing is not even comparable to a neurotypical person because they don't have to think about it. It's just all natural to them and it's not natural to us. And I wish that they knew how hard we tried. Uh, if you want to promote anything like that, you're like, or like where people can find you on social media, follow you and that stuff. Is there anything you want to mention on that front? So my username on all platforms is Sarah Ann underscore wrap, like the Sarah Ann wrap plastic wrap. <laughs> um, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. I will be posting more on YouTube this year. So I'm hoping to kind of make more long form content soon, but yeah, TikTok, 
I'm more active on. Instagram is more personal kind of stuff if you want to get to know me. And yeah, that is it. Yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yes, thank you for inviting me. It's my first one, so yeah, it's huge for me. <laughs> I want to thank Sarah on again for coming on the podcast. And if you want to, you know, watch the video or read the articles, just keep on up to date on social media accounts or at www.newrainbowproject.com. And also, if you, uh, when, yeah, that's where you can follow for more information. But also that for next week on the podcast, I'll be chatting to author and filmmaker Kaya Stone about her 2020 memoir, uh, Everything is going to be KO and whatever projects that she works on. And like having learning difficulties and what it's like to be working in the creative arts space as a disabled person. So you'll be able to hear that next Sunday on the podcast and in the coming days you'll be able to get more articles and more videos across uh, social media and on the website at www.newrainbowproject.com So if you want to get more of that you know, just go to those places and, you know, thanks again for listening. This is the new Rainbow Cast podcast for me artistically are. And thanks again for tuning in. And this is your lot for this week. So thanks and hopefully you can tune in next week. <laughs>